Good afternoon and welcome to the Sirius Weekly Security Seminar at Purdue University. Uh, before we get started, just want to let everybody know that if you'd like to submit a question, you can do so using the Q&A button. It's my pleasure to introduce our speaker for today. Dr. Marina Gavrilova is a professor of computer science at the University of Calgary. Her research interests include machine intelligence, biometric recognition, image processing, and GIS. Today, she'll be speaking to us about new developments in biometric security and ethics. Marina, thank you so much for being with us today. Please take it away. Thank you so much, Mike, and uh, welcome everybody to this seminar. Um, let me share my screen. Here you go. I hope you can see. Yep, we got it. Yeah. Thanks. You got it. Excellent. All right. So it was my pleasure to present at the Sirius Center uh, 13 years ago. And um, uh, at that time, I spoke about um, biometric um, information security and multi-model system design. Well, things changed quite a bit. And uh, today I'm going to talk about privacy, security, ethics um, as applicable to both biometrics as well as artificial intelligence uh, supported decision making. So I uh, lead Biometric Technologies Lab and Sparks Lab at the University of Calgary. And uh, in today's talk, after brief introduction, I will uh, discuss information fusion and new mechanism to design intelligent uh, decision-making systems for biometric as well as medical applications. Uh, and I will um, give a couple of case studies, examples on privacy and ethics uh, considerations. So you can see uh, the scope of my research uh, from this slide. So it ranges from the International Journal of Digital Human that I just started to lead as um, uh, editor-in-chief to transactions on computational sciences that I'm uh, with Springer that I have been um, uh, editor-in-chief for the past um, 15 years to applications to cyber war, cybersecurity, intelligent uh, decision-making, and more recently, trustworthy computing. Uh, just as an introduction for this um, lecture topic, biometrics is defined as domain of research that studies psychological and behavioral human characteristics. And of course, there's a number of applications that are most commonly known to majority of public that uh, are related to border security, banking, finance, uh, medical application, um, uh, robotics, risk prediction, and access control, as well as some of the consumer devices such as iPhones that rely on biometric face, voice, or fingerprint identification to allow user in. Um, you can see on the screen, the variety of different biometric um, uh, biometric modalities. Within the biometric technologies lab, um, over past 10 years, we uh, slowly migrated from looking at um, uh, individual biometrics and uh, information fusion to investigating novel architectures. Uh, that can uh, help to identify most prominent features that we would like to extract from uh, biometric data in order to make um, our decision about uh, person identity or person gender or access level to specific user of the system 
most trustworthy, most reliable, most accurate, as well as to make those systems lightweight and requiring uh, little resources, uh, quick training time, and uh, even um, and performing the proper um, work, even in the presence of low quality data, so mitigating for some risks associated with the low quality absent uh, data or um, not precise decision making. And within this domain of scope, we also uh, slowly migrated toward considering personality aspects of a human as well as the emotion, emotions um, within this realm as one of the biometric traits of a person. So we're not only focusing on physiological or, uh, or behavioral characteristics expressed through typing patterns, signature, uh, even presence online, but we're looking at um, uh, behavioral biometrics uh, in the way how human communicate and how human to human communication evolves, also how human to machine and human to robot communication evolves. And within this domain, uh, we're quite interested in uh, improving the experience of end user in terms of not only knowing the decisions made by our systems are accurate, but and precise and trustworthy, but also understanding that this decision communicated in a, a explainable way, uh, the decision were made fair, that the data training that they used uh, was, uh, and the data collection was uh, um, performed with the consideration for uh, privacy of the user. And um, that um, uh, finally, emotional aspects of a human communicating with the system taken into account. So we have emotionally aware robots or emotionally aware, aware systems to increase uh, and improve users' overall experience. And that's essentially what we're working on right now, including a specific focus on privacy, ethics, bias, and trustworthy implications. Uh, this is uh, Calgary, this is where I work. And uh, last year, well, actually two years ago during the pandemic, we had a, a big exhibition uh, called Data Burst, um, uh, at which our lab presented the work, the epoch of biometrics and digital identity. You can see us as a center uh, that generates the data uh, in, this, in this diagram co-created with an artist uh, from our university, well, Vivian Smith. And you can say that uh, digital identity, social media, uh, artificial intelligence, our emotions, uh, algorithms, and biometrics all part of this um, social circle, social spheres within which, which each of us contributes the data and which each of us ends up using as a data. And it, each of us actually depends on this data when we uh, receive services in bank or cross the border. So it, it became very entangled, very, very connected, all these notions. And that's therefore research that we do is, is very practical, uh, very uh, human, um, operated human uh, user-oriented uh, user experience, uh, which also looks at uh, global issues such as um, global trustworthiness of AI or fairness of AI or equity, diversity, and inclusion uh, issues and consideration as part of data collection. Uh, just as a brief uh, side note is we'll also look and contribute to United Nations Sustainable Goals uh, such one of those goals on uh, safety and security of people within the domain of cyber wars and cybersecurity uh, was uh, uh, listed as a top uh, use publication of Springer that concerns UN Sustainable Development Goals 
that are important for societies. And uh, we also contribute to international efforts to promote awareness of uh, risks, potential risks, and also future directions related to artificial intelligence development and biometric surveillance developments. And thus, which uh, contribute uh, last year to Japanese government report on air technology, and this year to Geneva Science and Diplomacy Summit that um, was uh, looking at the views of AI international experts uh, on um, what are the changes that come in towards global societies in the very near future and over the next five, 10 years uh, with the huge development of AI-powered technologies such as ChatGPT, uh, sentient uh, AI, uh, potentially uh, um, emergence of sentient AI uh, and emergence of um, conglomerate, uh, larger systems of AI-connected uh, agents uh, on, uh, in terms of um, sustainability uh, inclusivity, responsiveness, and safety of the of us humans within this new new world and new societies. Uh, a number of examples that we do, or number of projects that we do within the framework of biometric security lab, as you can see, look at both security and privacy aspects. So, from the point of view of security, we would like to make our remote authentication as accurate as possible. And here, are examples of. Um, uh, remote authentication by gate, by voice, by online profiles. Uh, and then we also would like to detect abnormal network activity. We would like to identify fake uh, online profiles um, or illegal network activities. We would like to be able uh, to identif identify fake news or to uh, perform authorship disambiguation um, on a larger uh, online social websites and we have a number of projects including colleagues and collaborators from Purdue University as well that allow us to attain those goals and lead those projects and on the other side uh, on the number of um, medical smart sensor based projects as well as societal and human behavior projects uh, we look at um, potentially suicide prevention drop-in center biometric check-in uh, we look at issues of ethical use of AI, we look at issues of uh, women retention in uh, um, IT sector, fall preventions in smart uh, homes for seniors, uh, detecting personal distress in the airport or public place, and physical rehabilitation uh, using our biometric multimodal gate recognition model for uh, physical and mental well-being. And in all of those projects, we have to uh, consider privacy of users is one of the key considerations. Just as a sum of the examples to uh, illustrate the previous concepts uh, in interactions with uh, uh, smart technologies, smart devices, sensors such as companion robot Zenbo or social robot Jibo, smartphones or Google Home, uh, we saw a researcher Actually, some of the applications of our previous research that I outlined uh, helps to inform those applications and uh, make sure they're accurate, uh, that the communication and devices uh, uh, possess um, abilities to perform situation awareness and uh, deliver personalized services. In terms of the gate recognition, here's just a quick illustration 
of uh, different sensors and information that we see from infrared depth stream, uh, stream, uh, stream gray, depth stream colorful, and skeleton in 3D uh, in order to perform remote gate identification studies as well as to uh, inform uh, uh, physical rehabilitation in the context of medical research. And we also performed uh, similar studies on um, virtual agents, uh, including <clears throat> uh, remote uh, virtual games environment and identification of avatar behavior and uh, risks assessment for online communications and networks. As well as performed research on author sentiment and psychological traits recognition in online social networks as well. So uh, here is a, just a brief introduction of some of the main methodologies that we develop while doing all of this uh, research. Information fusion is defined as a process of arriving at decision based on more than one expert modalities in metric or in evidence. And here as expert, we can um, use um, basic classical machine learning methods, uh, semi-automated learning, um, as well as um, deep learning, fully supervised deep learning, uh, including uh, news transformer models, um, LSTM uh, network structures, and uh, graph-based neural networks, and other new development uh, with, that essentially almost uh, transformed the way how, uh, how we do research in, my, in a lot of different domains over the last two, three years. And here is an example of some of those systems that I described before. So we have user registration on the first row uh, from data capturing module, we can collect the data. Using sensors, we can also collect this data using online uh, information and communication. Then we have processing module and extract biometric features, store them in the storage module uh, for verification. We capture a new image of a person, extract features, and we try to perform matching uh, using variety of matching algorithms based on machine learning and deep learning uh, in order to say whether the identity can be found. Uh, and then also sometimes provide the ranked list of people with those identities and sometimes also provide probability of each person uh, having uh, this particular identity. And for multimodal biometric system, we do exactly the same, but we do it with multiple traits, and therefore we need to add an extra module. This module is called information fusion module, as you can see on diagram B. And within the framework of this module, we perform uh, and apply a variety of different algorithms from probabilistic fuzzy systems and Markov chains to classical um, um, uh, logics and um, algebraic based decision-making in order to come up to the decisions that now will combine information coming from multiple sensors. Just as illustration, we can have multi-instance uh, biometrics where we look at right and left eye. We can have multi-sample biometrics when we have different views of the face, left, frontal, or right. Uh, we can have fingerprint phase analysis, which is true multimodal biometric, uh, and also apply different algorithms to perform information fusion using those uh, using uh, um, those multiple mo modalities. 
And this diagram just shows that there are multiple levels at which we can consider fusion. Uh, if we now look at this diagram left to right, and if we look at the vertical structure of the data, the leftmost um, sensor level fusion means that we combine information at sensor level. So if we have an image of the face, image of the fingerprint, we will combine it together, create a common image, and then perform feature extraction and identity recognition based on it. As we move forward, left to right, the second column in this image, in this diagram, shows a feature-level fusion. And feature-level fusion means that we extract features from the face, let's say geometrical features. Uh, we can extract um, uh, using DTW the um, structure or the texture of the face and the skin. Uh, we can also extract minutia points from the fingerprints and combine those features together and then run it through the matching module that I described on the previous slides. And then what we see in, in, in the right of this diagram, match score, rank level, and decision level fusion. Um, the fusion method, methods that actually allow us to run independent matching modules, all of these matching modules or experts will come up with their own decision. So they will do independent data acquisition, feature extraction, and matching processing. And then they will perform us a, a report, either the percentage of identity match using scores from 0 to 100, was a rank, let's say top five, top, top 10 candidates for given identity. Or at the very last row, decision module, decision level, they will simply give us zero one as a one bit operation, zero no match found, one is the correct match. So as we move along this diagram from the left to the right, we can see that the amount of information we've used becomes less and less, and that the decision uh, making capabilities also become more and more enhanced because as we have less information, we need to make most accurate decision. So for major rank level fusion, we have to come up with different methods, how we can perform and combine the scores, weighted scores, uh, ranking and modality ranking, et cetera, et cetera. And for decision level, we have to come up with even more advanced uh, decision making for those scores in order to just based on zeros and ones as an outcome, come up with the correct result. And here are examples of those rank level fusion. So they become very sophisticated, higher end border count, Markov chain models, logistic regression, as well as fuzzy fusion become the methods to combine information coming from different sources. Let's say if we just stay for a couple of seconds longer on this diagram, uh, we see multimodal system where we have face, ear, and iris coming as modalities, we can see that each of them during enrollment will extract uh, features using Fisher face or Fisher era projections. Iris code can be generated differently. Then we will generate three separate templates, face, ear, and iris. And then we will send it to, for identification to the feature matching module. The features will be matched by three different experts based on your fleeting distance and Hammond distance in this case. Face ranking will be generated, ear ranking will be generated, iris ranking will be generated. And then we can run multiple uh, fusion algorithms that will combine information coming from different experts uh, and uh, create the final ranking to the best possible uh, way. And the same can be done using FISI fusion algorithms as well that we developed in our lab. Another example of unimodal framework is the processing uh, online uh, media data. 
So it's slightly different because the features we extract now related to linguistic features, stylistic features, knowledge-based features. So we evoke a natural language processing algorithm quite a bit for this research. And then we create a similar profile of the user, except for it's not anymore behavioral physiological, it's um, uh, now social behavioral profile or communication profile. We store it in the database and we perform training uh, of uh, and comparing those vectors of social behavioral features using uh, different new similarity measures that we create in the lab. We were one of the pioneers of this research and uh, coined the term social behavioral biometrics about 10 years ago. And since then, it includes communication of people on Twitter. It includes communication of people using mobile phones on a social website in uh, virtual uh, game uh, frameworks and environments and in other applicable domains. And similarly, as an example of multimodal framework, we asked the question what happens when we combine social behavioral profiles with physiological biometrics. And we said, yes, we can do that. We can also create this multimodal system that one expert is based on communication, another expert based on our physiological behavior. Of course, the accuracy of uh, user recognition or identifying potential, potential risk or threat becomes extremely high as a result. And within this framework, uh, we can um, come up with the accuracy decision with an accuracy of identity, let's say if social behavioral biometric maybe uh, guarantee us 80, 85, 90%, we can reach 99% accuracy if we invoke additional information on face or voice or other aspect of the person. So we can see that these are very, very powerful techniques that serve to protect safety of the users and can identify potential risks and threats or can uh, potentially come up with proper medical diagnosis but as I mentioned uh, before, they also present certain privacy risks that has to be considered and mitigated at the same time. So how do we know of, of what we're doing is right? That there are standard ways and decision metrics and biometrics to identify uh, whether we are coming up with correct decisions. They are probably familiar to majority of you, false acceptance rate, probability of imposter being accepted as a genuine individual, false rejection rate, probability of genuine individual being rejected as an imposter, and genuine acceptance rate and, and uh, genuine rejection rates uh, correspondingly fraction of genuine scores exceeding predefined threshold, fraction of imposter scores below predefined threshold. Depending on the application, whether it's uh, uh, highly secure facilities, which require um, to minimize false acceptance rate, to some uh, consumer-based applications such as access to Disneyland, which can actually uh, have very high false uh, acceptance rate as long as people can access the services. So depending on the range of um, and the framework within which we use the system, we can set up different thresholds for all of those metrics. And then we can plot them through receiver operating curves and cumulative match characteristics. Uh, also computing F1 scores as well to make sure that our accuracy is correct. And on the left side, we can actually, um, just as a, once again, nice illustration to, to what we already discussed, 
within the domain of social behavioral biometrics, those different characteristics or, or biometric features could be uh, retweets, replies, uh, close friend network topics of interest for their combination. And we can see this diagram that combination of these features leads to lowest possible equal error rate, so minimizes the error uh, in terms of both false, both false rejection rate or Y axis, false acceptance rate or X axis. And as a result, system performs the best. Uh, this is one of our preliminary researchers. So here we had 20%. We now reduced it to below less than 5% and equal error rate uh, with a more powerful combination of features um, as well as fusion. And on the right, we can also see that when we actually combine uh, built um, CMC curves, and in this particular research, we did it uh, using concealability. Uh, concealability or revocability is one of the domains that I will mention uh, uh, very shortly in one of the subsequent slides. And within this domain, we aim at protecting biometric information by generating the fold that, that we encrypt. And if the information becomes compromised, we can rebuild this fold. So that's why those phase error folds and phase error fold one and two, combining them together uh, results in the best possible correct verification rate close to 100%. And this is uh, described within this CMC curves. So now um, let us talk um, briefly about privacy revocability and concealability as well as de-identification. I think this is probably uh, some of the most recent uh, and most interesting research that we lead in the lab. And essentially, as I just identified uh, above, all of the uh, research that we do concerning biometric has to be considered of privacy of the data, has to be done uh, with obviously proper ethics approval, has to be done uh, in a way that um, system decision is trustworthy and uh, users' information is protected. So concealability means extracting biometric template from original data, uh, and this template can be revoked if compromised and rebuilt easily. Uh, because obviously, if um, your raw data, such as face stored in some database, which is, I think, the, normally the case when you cross your border, if somehow it gets compromised or the data gets leaked, then it might be quite difficult to uh, build another system not using the face or using your face because it's been compromised so accuracy of the identification drops, privacy concerns uh, being raised. So what we would like to do is we would like to make sure, and we did some research using cross-fault validation, we would like to make sure that we can cancel biometric template without compromising original face data that will not be stored on the system. And we've done this research also on the cloud cloud um, uh, for cloud computing for access and remote services. And the second part is even more interesting. It's called de-identification. So the identification of biometric data means we remove sensitive data from image or a video. Sensitive data, gender, race, age. And uh, we know that right now artificial intelligence and new transformer methods, new deep learning architectures can easily create deep fakes, can easily extract gender data, can even modify it for any given users. Uh, I, I believe um, there were news about six months ago that Bruce Willis was one of the first uh, actors of Hollywood who gave permission uh, for artificial intelligent uh, system to generate movies using his virtual persona created using AI. So it's becoming only much, much easier to do. 
And therefore, we need to make sure that the data that's been stored on data sets or been processed can actually be de-identified in such a way that information shouldn't be extracted or modified or compromised in any way shouldn't be there. So obviously it's important for privacy ethics and consumer rights protection. And here we actually came up with four, uh, we did an extensive literature review last year and came up with four classes for uh, how the identification works. So complete identification referred to a process where biometric modality of a person is entirely identified. For instance, we can fully mask it or obscure it. Ten years ago, people used pixelization. Of course, right now we use much more sophisticated image process and techniques to do that. As a result, identity of the person actually cannot be verified. So the biometric of this person cannot be extracted. And um, applications, so it can be used in mass media, police video footages that are shown to public. So the person identity must be hidden, but uh, they still would like to be true to events happen. So biometric preserving the identification essentially removes specific biometric features while the soft biometric remains distinguishable. So the goal of this group of methods, which you know also majority of them appeared in the last two, three years, um, there was practically no research on the identification prior to that. So the goal is to remove ability to identify a person using given biometric while still retaining soft biometric traits. Neither machine or human can identify the person, but soft biometric traits remain. So for instance, when we create a video simulation, um, we can post it on social media. We can say, yeah, there was, you know, people on average, there were children or people on average of the age of 20, 25 that were involved in this activity, but their identity remains hidden. Next group is interesting. So in the next group, um, we call it soft biometric preserving utility retained identification. So within this group, uh, soft biometrics are preserved, traditional biometrics are obscured, and biometric system or computer still will be able to identify an individual, but the human will not be able to. So in this case, we can um, distort the information and remove unique characteristics such as age or gender of a person, but the algorithm still can um, recognize a person identity using, let's say in this example, they uh, created a, a 3D map below and certain features. And then the last one, traditional biometric preserving identification in this particular approach, only sold biometrics are obscured while traditional biometric preserved. So in this particular case, for mobile phone access, for its recognition based access, et cetera. Uh, let's say video of the face on the individual remains the same while the height, uh, the hair color, the type of the clothing, et cetera, will be changed. And uh, that is useful for some type of applications where we don't want to reveal about a certain soft biometric features, even potential gender or age, but we would like still to be recognized as humans. So all of those are classified. You can see this classification uh, going left to right. Uh, complete identification, sold biometric preserving identification, sold biometric preserving utility retained identification, and traditional biometric preserving biometric um, identification. And we also came up with the same classification for multimodal systems as well. Multimodal biometric identification is an upcoming future domain of research. 
as a flowchart for the identification to be working right now on face and gait and age and gender, activity motion identification, web and gait sequence, randomize it, and uh, create discriminator deep learning network based on privacy, uh, primary biometrics uh, to perform primary biometric identification, but to hide age, gender, activity, or emotion. Another interesting part about it is it's fully flexible and fully customizable, so we can minimize or maximize accuracy of distortion of this auxiliary biometric. So we can say that, let's say, age, we want to keep a gender, we can um, completely identify alternatively, we can preserve emotion of a person, let's say for some video clips or virtual reality communication, avatar communication, but we can keep the age. So it's a very, very flexible, very adaptive system that allows us to control which uh, features, which biometrics, which traits of the person we can identify and which we cannot. So before I move any further, let me just um, check on time. Seven more minutes, it's good. Perfect. All right. So in the next few minutes, I will uh, try to you summarize and give a couple of case studies on, uh, on uh, those topics that we discussed in today's lecture. So social behavioral biometrics I already described above. It's a domain of research that we introduced in our um, lab that can identify individuals based on their communication style expressed on social media. And you can see in this diagram taxonomy of uh, various types of um, social behavioral biometrics. Um, and the applications in sentiment analysis, mental health, opinion mining, aesthetics, and fake news online. So we can see that there are quite a few different applications, large variety of use cases and studies for social behavioral biometrics. And once again, social behavioral flow, biometric flow chart is based on our multimodal system that we created, where in this particular case, after enrollment, uh, of let's say Twitter data and user IDs in the system. And after running um, through identification phase, finding top and matching users ID. Uh, so we have we using utilizing rank or match level fusion. We can extract tweet-based personality traits, content-based user recognition traits and graph representation of user social network will result in graph-based psychological trait aware user identification. Uh, this is yet another example of multimodal research. Um, without going into much details on this case study, um, we performed this research on image aesthetics for user identification. Essentially, we discovered that even looking at some of the user's favorite images can identify user with accuracy of about 80 to 95% accuracy and their gender. And uh, this research once again, is used for cybersecurity, um, continuous authentication, marketing, as well as recommender systems. Uh, so this research, uh, physical biometrics, fingerprint face on the left, behavior gate signature in the middle, social behavior biometrics on the right, and visual aesthetics defined as somebody's taste, pre preference or judgment of artwork, music, or website. 
research questions whether we can use convolutional neural network to get higher recognition performance than traditional machine learning methods were posed. Can it um, work with a set of preferred images? And would it have more discriminating ability? Those research questions were answered on the data set. So you can see user 15 chooses about a set of 100 or 10 of five preferred images. User 19 chooses their own images. And just based on this information alone, which images person likes, we can say identity, we can report identity of the user or um, the gender of the user with very high degree of accuracy. This is an example of aesthetic features. Um, if um, you're interested in it, emotion-based, color-based, um, as well as um, intensity of the ages, wavelet textures, etc., etc. Contrast. Here's an outline of the system. Users enrolled in the image, and features being extracted. Um, originally, we used gene expression programming to came up with feature vector, use classical linear SVM to perform classification. A user liked images, new liked images come in, see they're different. And based on a set of one, three, five user liked images, we can actually identify what, what, what was the original user. Using one versus many strategies. Uh, here is a brief outline of our genetic-based gene expression programming module. In experimental results, you can see that proposed methods um, achieve accuracy of 94% user recognition at the rank one, which means that identity was recognized properly, 99 at rank five, uh, with 924 features extracted. And those diagrams of SM secures again, are secure false negative rate versus false positive rate, those metrics that we discussed before, they used again to validate that what we're doing is correct. And then we came up with new deep learning framework. So it's kind of multi-image multi deep learning structure that uses individual learning-based CNN model for person identification. And uh, within this uh, module, this is how our residual learning block looks like. It, if you're interested, you can find more information in our papers and publications on how that was designed. And with the result, we can see that from the previous work that I just mentioned, 94% at rank one, 99% accuracy of user recognition rank five, the proposed deep learning method achieves 97.73% accuracy at rank one and achieves 99% uh, accuracy at rank five. So from this, the summary is indeed uh, the algorithms become very powerful. We can identify a person just by, by the, what images they like, what music they like, what are their preferences, obviously by their social browsing behavior and purchasing behavior, et cetera, et cetera. And once again, privacy concerns are very, very important to address within this research. And to address those privacy considerations, we talked a little bit about concealability, which means when we collect the data, we can actually uh, extract biometric template and change it or revoke it if the data is compromised. For the identification that we discussed before as well, we can remove sensitive data from the image so that artificial intelligence cannot extract it. And um, for now, for ethics considerations, uh, let's look at uh, the last, um, I would like to just touch on in the last minute on 
algorithmic bias. So when we train our data uh, and when we work with um, data related to the users, the previous two methods, concealability as well as um, the identification allow to remove some sensitive information from the data that we're working with. Algorithmic bias and removing or reducing algorithmic bias means that if the training or pre-trained deep learning models or the data that used for training was biased and it's poor, we would like to minimize the effects on it as it propagates through the system. And uh, uh, within that framework, uh, for informed decision making, and we know that um, more and more artificial intelligence systems now start to make decisions based um, uh, hiring decisions, policy making decisions, recruitment decision, retention decision, uh, given personal loan decision. All of this starts to impact everyday life of people within the social and within the media. And um, the goal is to identify, explain, and mitigate unconscious bias when we use artificial intelligence for decision-making. So of course there's uh, implications of biased AI systems are significant and mitigation strategies involve proper data collection, introducing diversity in the data set, uh, introducing protected variables, age, race, gender. When we do the identification, we do exactly that. We remove some of the variables that we don't want to be used in training or uh, analysis of the data. Introducing proxy variables such as place of birth, graduation year, and school name, where a person graduated from, also useful. So we can look at derivatives of the previous protected variables, and we want to make sure we minimize the effect on the final decision as well. Adding additional documentation on how data was collected, using training for people who use it, and using commercially available tools such as Microsoft FireLearn, for instance, to make sure that this, this consideration of bias and um, probability of trustworthiness of the system incorporated in the final decision making. All right, so thank you so much for uh, giving me the opportunity to discuss my research and discuss some of the issues that we face in the overall society. Uh, and uh, there are quite a few open problems and challenges remain. Obviously, how do we work with big data analytics and, and deep learning? How do we create a framework uh, within which those um, the goal or the purpose to commercialize technologies, the purpose to gain more benefits from certain technologies or algorithms will not overweight privacy risks? How do we create regulations and um, utilize uh, explainability, ethics, uh, trustworthiness, and prevent bias in a performing decision. And um, then, obviously, uh, within this new reality where we use real-time analytics powered by AI from video, sound, social communication, etc., etc., how do we mitigate the impact on processes of interview, hiring, loan decisions, service access decision, etc., etc., and make sure that those decisions are explainable and fair to all different parts of population. And of course, generative AIs uh, and AI singularity is something that uh, majority of people discuss right now as potential challenges of the future that also need to be looked at in right now. Thank you so much for listening to me. And here's information how to get in touch. Thank you.
So let me see if I can go to question and answer. I don't see anything yet. And I cannot, sorry, I cannot hear your mic. Now we can. Um, not yet. Okay, okay yeah, yeah, sorry. Attendees, go ahead and uh, if you have questions, go ahead and put them in the Q&A. I don't see any yet, but, and I know we have five more minutes, I believe, right? So. Yeah, sure. Well, and if yeah, we'll give it, we'll to, give uh, a minute. Raise their hand. You can also raise your hand if you would like to talk, to speak. So I know, you know, this is a very hot topic um, recently here, uh, especially with all the, uh, you know, things going on in AI. Um, mm -hmm. as, as far as like, you know, checking the source of stuff, like where things where come from, or like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I mean, I can see a world where we're just seeing like everything we we browse on the internet could be like AI generated, right? And like yes. how to detect whether or not that's been AI generated. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. the, these are like, things people are talking about today, I guess, right? Yes. So this is, um, so this is the area that literally practically no research has been happening up to now because nobody imagined that within the span of six months, we can generate all this fake content. People talk about fake news generation, but they are human generated, right? Yeah. But how yes. do we distinguish um, deep fake face? from the real face, right? How do we look at these patterns? We kind of approaching it from this different point of view. We, in our lab, we can generate those fakes. We can also compare them to real, right? Mm -hmm. We can see how we can mitigate, you know, generation of those fake images, fake data, fake information online. But uh, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just this race, right? Of between those who develop algorithms to create those generative right AI and create all of this content that might not be verifiable and those who will find now the features for the trade to be able to distinguish those from what's real what's not it's, it's a huge it's 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 a big thing that's gonna be like because you can trust almost any news posted right now right people right. can tweet from somebody there's been already a number of videos posted online and circulated widely and million people were surprised that person said it only to appear that it was deep fake that said it right yeah I, I see we have a question here i'll go ahead yes. and read it. um regarding privacy what yeah. do you think about biometric template projection i would like to know your thoughts on the traditionally considered aspects mainly irreversibility mm -hmm. revocability yeah. and renewability but also the user's consent and that's from enrique yeah uh great sure um so so that's part of this research that we did on concealability or revocability of the biometric classical biometric template um from the point of view of users data it's still very important because uh we still have standalone application 
information such as face recognition when you cross border or fingerprint access of you know hand um, hand the palm of the hand access to secure resource and if we the more data we give like that the more important exactly to have this data stored within the revocable or cancelable biometric template and then the the main aspects would be reversibility as you said revocability and re renewability of the template as well because humans you know iris doesn't change much but uh face changes the voice changes significantly as well but i think it's it's uh, it's really what mike uh, like asked as a question aside from being standalone system right now we have a tendency of those systems being combined Right, and we have online activity of the person, the face activity. That's what we also investigate and say it's great. You know, it's it's it becomes you know so easy to identify person. But the point is that if you even protect it within one application, is one how do you protect it in another application? And second, is um, if you can make it revocable renewal in one application, then it now becomes so much easier to generate this fake data based even on the features that you have. Right, it's enough just to give those 15 minutes, whatever 20 minutia points, and you can generate a fingerprint which is fairly close to the real one and then use it to access the data. So I think that just expanding the scope to multiple systems and this considering this possibility, yeah, of of uh, of this information also being taken away and used to generate new content, this will create even more. Uh, potential research directions and uh, and um, and more algorithms to mitigate it to mitigate the threat yeah okay great um yes yes you're welcome enrique uh yeah i don't see any more questions in here um and we're about at time here so marina thank you so much really appreciate it uh Great to have you and great to have you again for the second time. And, and I'm glad that you were able to, to visit uh, here. And we had pretty good weather here, too. So that was pretty nice when you were here a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, you're always welcome to come visit us uh, awesome. anytime. Definitely. Okay. All right, yeah, great. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Thank you, everyone. All right, thanks. Take care.